Amen. Praise the Lord for that. What wonderful music this morning. Amen. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. And the uh, name of Jesus has been lifted up. It's been wonderful. Thank the Lord for that. And uh, it is uh, to come on the heels of that kind of singing and preach is, is awesome. Um, this morning, <clears throat> I want to lift up the name of Jesus even higher. And that's the purpose of what preaching is, to lift him up. And the Bible says, if he be lifted up, he'll draw all men to himself. And so uh, we want that this morning. We want that promise. I want to claim that promise this morning. And uh, we're going to look at a couple things here regarding uh, a topic regarding Jesus, and, and it is. The music has all pointed right towards this message this morning. I'm so thankful for that. I know the Lord's in control of that situation, and so praise Him for it. If you would this morning, turn to Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. We're going to le- read one verse here, and um, we're going to talk about the coming of Jesus. 
That's what we're going we're gonna to highlight this morning. We're going to talk about how he came and, and, and the manner in which he came. Uh, Luke chapter 2 is, without doubt, I would say, the most common um, description of the coming of Jesus Christ. We read it there. Uh, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. The coming of Jesus, um, it's ringing pretty good, uh, if you could help me out with that. Um, the coming of Jesus as our Savior. And, um, and so uh, we are going to look at that, but before we get there, I want to look at a prophecy that told of his coming. Prophecy that told of Jesus Christ's coming. Um, we see in Micah chapter 4 and verse number 8. Micah chapter 4, verse number 8. Before we get there, Micah is a, a book um, that has a, a three purposes. It's talking to the children of Israel. And in that book, it's talking about their current condition of sin. Uh, the children of Israel had once again rebelled against God. And so in Micah, he's coming to them. The prophet Micah is preaching to them, hey, you're not right with God once again. You've turned your back away from God. And so he is warning them of their imminent destruction. Hey, punishment's about to come. Punishment's about to come. You've once again turned to God. Is going, he has no choice but to punish you. God is a just God. Not that he would choose to punish his children, but for every action there is a reaction. And uh, when you sin against God, there is a consequence. And so uh, he warns them of an imminent, imminent destruction, but then he also uh, tells them of a future restoration. And that's where we're at. And in Micah chapter 4, he's telling them about how in the future, yes, there's a punishment, but there is going to be a restoring. God is going to mend this broken relationship here. And it's not just a reference to you can offer a sacrifice as they had to do in the Old Testament and get right with God. He is prophesying 700 years before Jesus Christ would ever be born where Jesus would be born. In Micah chapter 4 verse 8, if you look with me there, in that verse it says, And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, unto thee shall it come. Even the first dominion. The kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. It references there, it says, the tower of the flock. And this is a reference, it's, it's mentioned other places in scripture. Uh, in other places it's, it's called Eder. And it's a, a place called Midgal Eder. It's right outside of Bethlehem. And it was the tower of the flock. This is a, a tower that was built over top of the hills where the sheep were kept. And you know, outside of the city of Bethlehem, there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And so that's what this tower was meant for. The shepherds would watch from this tower to keep their sheep safe from predators. And, uh, and so it's prophesied here in Malachi, that, or in Micah, I'm sorry, in Micah chapter 4, that Jesus Christ would be born. The first dominion, the first reign of Jesus Christ on earth would come to the city of Bethlehem. And so it would. And we see there, as you look in all the Gospels, the story of Jesus Christ being born in Bethlehem. And Mary being great with child and bringing forth her firstborn son, wrapping him in swaddling clothes and laying him in the manger. And uh, the Bible tells uh, of, of that story. We often look to the Gospels to see the story of, of Christ's birth. One Gospel that's not often referenced in this story is the, the Gospel of John. And I want you to turn there this morning, if you would. John chapter 1. It's not often really thought of as the birth of Jesus Christ or the Christmas story, if you will. We look at Luke, we look at Matthew, we look at Mark even, but very, uh, very little do we look at John when it comes to the, the birth of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 1, it in fact describes the coming of Jesus Christ. 
In John chapter 1, in verse number 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, that is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It's establishing the Godhead right here. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And it takes us all the way back. Whereas the other stories, the Luke chapter 2 account of Christ's birth, takes us to Mary uh, and, her, and her delivery of Jesus Christ. Uh, the Gospel of John takes us back to the beginning of time and establishes that Jesus Christ is God and he was with God. And nothing was made without him being present. It says in verse number 4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness... And the, dark, the darkness comprehended it not. Was it not true that Jesus came unto his own, as we'll see here in these next verses, and his own received him not? They did not understand who Jesus was. And so we see here the, the, uh, the, the story of Jesus coming. In verse number 6, it jumps forward in time, from the beginning of time, to the time of Jesus' birth. And it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the John who wrote the book of John. This is John the Baptist. And it says in verse 7, The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, Jesus Christ, that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That light was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. John goes on to uh, describe John the Baptist and how he foretold of Jesus Christ's coming. And would you look down with me to verse number 29, chapter 1, verse number 29. John 1, 29, it says, The next day... John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. In verse number 36, jump down a couple more for me, if you would. And once again, we see John describing uh, an interaction between John the Baptist and Jesus, and, and looking upon Jesus, this is John the Baptist, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. 700 years before this passage of Scripture was ever given to mankind, before John was ever written, in the book of Micah chapter 4, a prophecy was foretold that unto the tower of the flock would come the dominion. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. And we know that on that hill, they watched lambs. And the tower of the flock was erected for a very specific reason. It was not an ordinary shepherd's pen. The tower of the flock was kept by the priests. And the tower of the flock was uh, guarding a a special herd of sheep who were meant to be used for the sole purpose of sacrifice. And so this tower of the flock, in reference to the Lamb of God, is an amazing picture for us of how the Lamb of God would come one day, which would take away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God. Jesus Christ. This morning I want us to behold the Lamb of God. I want to draw our attention back some 2,000 years and plus to where John the Baptist cried, and this morning I will echo, Behold the Lamb of God. Let's have a word of prayer before we get into the message this morning. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths we can learn from it. 
And Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit this morning. Oh God, I crave to be used by you today. May I not be a stumbling block to the people who have gathered together today to hear your word. May they hear from heaven today. May my flesh be put aside. And may your name be lifted up and may it be magnified and glorified. God, you're so worthy of our praise and our our honor and our worship, our adoration. And this morning, Lord, we recognize you as the Lamb of God. We're so thankful for what you've done for us in the gift of salvation. Lord, I pray that we will be blessed through the reading and the preaching of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Behold the Lamb of God. How can we behold the Lamb of God? And that's what I want to look at this morning. What does it mean to behold the Lamb of God? Let's jump back here just a few verses to John chapter 1, verse 14, and we'll start from this reference point and move forward. In John chapter 1 and verse number 14, we've read this verse already, and it says, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh. Jesus Christ, God, was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. How can we behold the Lamb, the Lamb of God that has, that has come? How can we behold Him today? Well, we can behold Him as He comes in glory. As He comes in glory. You see, in the other passages of Scripture that reference the coming of Jesus Christ, and specifically in Luke chapter 2, you'll see where the angels come to the shepherds in the field and they say, Behold, we bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And as they deliver this message, it says, uh, it moved down a couple verses there, and, and it says, And suddenly there was with the angels... A multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God on the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. We see the angels singing the glory of God, but that is not what John tells us to do. He says, I want you to behold the glory of God as of the only begotten of the Father. How do we behold the Lamb of God? Well, we behold him as he comes in glory. To sing the glory of God is one thing, and that's what the angels did in Luke chapter 2. They sang of the glory of God, but the instruction given to us is to behold the glory of God. What does it mean to behold? Well, behold is to fix our eyes upon something, to observe it with care. It's not just talking, it's sitting in silence. It's looking, it's meditating, it's observing with care. What is the glory of God? Well, it's his awesomeness. It's his magnificence. It's his almighty power. John gives us an instruction here when when he's talking about the Lamb of God. He says, behold the Lamb of God who comes in glory. And this morning today, I want to encourage you to observe his magnificence. The glory of God. And I think far too often we do not meditate on how good our God is. We don't sit in silence. Yes, we'll lift up our voice in song, and yes, we'll talk in some cases about him, but how often do we sit in silence and behold, stand in wonder, stand in awe, stand in amazement of how good our God is. He is a good God. He has done more for us than we could ever accomplish in our own strength and in our own flesh. He is the, 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 the only begotten of the Father. Do you understand that this morning? He said, behold the Lamb of God. He comes in glory as of the only begotten of the Father. 
This lamb that came was not just another lamb. It was not another lamb that would be uh, used in the continual uh, uh, habit of sacrifice. You see, all through the Old Testament, someone sinned. They had to get that spotless lamb. They had to bring him to the priest. The priest would offer up that sacrifice. And that spotless lamb represented uh, the shedding of blood that would cover their sins. But this was, just, this was not just another lamb. The lamb of God is not just another lamb. He is God. He would be the final sacrifice, not just a lamb that was spotless, not just another lamb without blemish, not just a a sacrificial lamb to be reserved, to be killed as a sacrifice. He was the spotless lamb of God. Behold his glory. He came to accomplish something that man could not accomplish. Do we stand in all the glory of God? You know, Islam, Islam will talk about their God. But Jesus was not just another prophet. He was the Lamb of God who came in glory, as of the only begotten Son of God. No, Islam, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was not just another prophet. No, Mormonism, he was not the good brother of Lucifer. No, Catholicism, he is, he is not, uh, he is not a, 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 an... I don't know Catholicism. I don't need another uh, priest to bring me into his, his presence. He is my interceder. He is, he is uh, making intercession for me. And no Buddhism, he is not uh, a God just to be put on the shelf with other gods. He is not just another God. He was not just a spot, uh, another lamb. He was the lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world. The glory of God. We must stop. For a moment in our lives regularly and observe the glory of God. He is not just average. He's not to be mixed in with the others. He's not to be added to. He was the spotless lamb of God. I heard a story recently of a pastor who was asked to speak at a large rally in Washington, D.C. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a a spiritual rally. It wasn't a Christian rally. And so he thought it was kind of odd that he was asked to preach or asked to, pre, uh, to pray at this rally. And, um, and so he argued a little bit with the organizers of the rally. Sure, you want me to come pray for this thing? It's not really my, you know, it has nothing to do with God. You want me to be involved? And they assured him yes. And so they bought him a ticket and even flew him out to this rally. It was a large rally, a couple hundred thousand people in Washington, D.C. But when he got there, he found out that he was not the only one to pray. The organizers of the rally had also thought it be, uh, to be in the spirit of fairness to invite other, other ministers to pray. And so they invite, had invited a, a universalist pastor, uh, minister. They had invited a rabbi um, as well, and they had invited a, an imam, a, a, Muslim, a Muslim minister. And uh, these men got up to pray. Well, one was a lady, and, and uh, they got up to pray. And the Christian pastor, he was put on the, the last uh, one in the list to pray, and and, uh, and so these, these folks get up. The universalist minister got up and opened the prayer like this. And uh, this I have it written down, quote, quoted here. It says, God, you're the God of many names and no name at all. You're the air, you're the wind, you're the rock, you're the leaf, you're the tree. You are everything and you are nothing. This is the prayer of the universalist pastor. 
She ends her prayer with an amen. She sits down. The imam gets up and, and opens his prayer in the name of Allah. And he prays to the God of Allah and, uh, and ends his prayer. The rabbi gets up and prays, uh, looking for a Messiah to come and ends his prayer and sits down. And the, honestly, the, this point, the Christian pastor was a little uncomfortable. Following these other folks who had prayed. But he knew exactly how he should pray. And he stood up to pray that morning. And he opened his prayer like this. In the name that is above all other names. In the name to which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. No other name has been given unto men whereby we must be saved. He is the name who saves all, who delivers all, who heals all and is coming back again. In the name of my Lord and my Savior, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I pray. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, behold his glory. He is not just another God. He is not just another God. Do we behold the glory of God? Do we stop and think about his awesomeness? Can I ask you this morning, church, do you even have eyes to see the glory of God? So often we are distracted by the world around us that we miss the awesomeness of the God that we serve. I don't know how many times I have fallen into the devil's trap and become distracted by a burden in my life that God becomes small and my burden becomes great. That is because I've missed out on, behold, the Lamb of God. There is probably somebody in this room this morning who is struggling in a marriage, who is struggling in a relationship, and it seems insurmountable. Seems like you cannot recover from it. I say to you this morning, behold, the Lamb of God, he comes in glory. There are problems that we face, maybe a heart that is aching. Sickness that just seems like it's never going to end. I don't know the struggle. I don't know the burden. I don't know the cares of your life. But this morning, I want to encourage you to cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And he is greater. He is bigger. He is stronger than anything that you will face. Behold, the Lamb of God. He comes in glory. He's not just another God. He is bigger than your problems. He's bigger than your weaknesses. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Behold the Lamb of God. He comes in glory. Do you observe the Lamb's glory today? He is bigger. He is greater than anything that you are going through. Take time to behold his glory. Behold the Lamb of God, John said. The voice crying in the wilderness, Behold the Lamb of God. He comes in glory. Behold the Lamb of God. He comes in in fullness. If you would look with me in John chapter 1 and verse number 16. John chapter 1 and verse number 16. It says there, and of his fullness have we all received. And I'm going to stop right there. We'll get to the last half of this verse. And of his fullness have we all received. You see, 
when Jesus came, this perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God, he came in fullness. As I mentioned earlier, for thousands and thousands of years, uh, man had to offer sacrifice for their sin. And if you were to travel back to the, uh, the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 3, you see that um, sin entered into the world through Adam and Eve. The fall of mankind. It was never God's intention for sin to be a part of our, our lives. But man made a choice and we chose to sin. So Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And the Bible tells us uh, that because of that, sin has passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Every single one of us have a sin nature. That's who we are. We can't avoid it. We are born with it. I've got two, well, I've got four children, and two of them are little redheaded girls. Very obvious that they're my children when they're around. You might have seen them run around here, but they've inherited something from their father red hair. Red hair. It's in their genes. They didn't have a choice in it, choice about it. It's who they are. And we all have inherited a sin nature. From the very beginning, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and it has been passed from generation to generation. And you all know it. You've seen it. You've seen the toddler who is never taught to lie tell their first lie, throw a temper tantrum. It doesn't, it just comes by nature. It's who we are. We are sinners. And for millennia, man had to offer a sacrifice. It was a temporary plan. Man would have to keep that lamb, as was talked about, the tower of the flock, those sheep that were kept for a specific reason to offer sacrifice. They would take those lambs and they would bring them to the tabernacle or to the temple and the the priest would offer up a sacrifice as an atonement, a covering for sins. And this was God's temporary plan. Uh, And then he had made a promise to his people, one day I'll send a permanent solution. But for thousands and thousands of years they offered up sacrifice looking forward to the day where that permanent solution would come. And then one day, John the Baptist stands there, crying in the wilderness, and says, Behold, the Lamb of God. And we see here in this verse, And of his fullness have we all received. The fullness of what? That he's got a bunch of love to give? Well, yes, absolutely, he does. That the gift is for everyone? Yes. Is it limitless? Yes. Will it ever run dry, his well of love and mercy and grace in our lives? No. But is that the fullness? No. The fullness that this is referencing is the fullness of God's plan. Because in the fullness of time, Jesus Christ came. It's referencing that no longer would we have to offer a sacrifice. The fullness of time had come. And of that fullness, we now can receive today the gift of salvation. The fullness of time. Man. This is an awesome thing to think about in our lives. The Lamb of God who solved the problem of temporary sacrifice. I no longer have to go to find a priest to get to God. I no longer have to offer up a sacrifice for my sin. I can come directly to God. He has completed his plan for salvation for me and for you. It's full. It's no longer a a temporary promise. It's a completed promise that you and I, we can have salvation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, Jesus Christ, the fullness of God's plan for redemption. The completion of it. You see, the, the birth of Jesus Christ was not the start of God's plan. It was the beginning, middle, and end. As soon as Jesus Christ came to this earth, that was it. No longer would I have to offer a sacrifice. No longer would I be dependent on another person to offer a sacrifice for me. No longer would an animal be needed annually to cover my sin that I commit on a daily basis. That's no longer needed in our lives because of the fullness. The fullness of God's plan. His son, Jesus Christ. Behold the Lamb of God. He comes in fullness. The Lamb that came to take away the sins of the world. And all of us are those people. We are all in sin. And we all need to partake of His fullness. The wages of our sin is death. Revelation is very clear that that's not referencing that our bodies will die. The wages of our sin is death. In Revelation chapter 20, and verse number 11, and through on, it talks about the great white throne judgment where we'll stand before God. In verse number 14, it says, In death and hell, we're cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. All of us will have a second death. All of us will die. Not just physically, of course, that's a given, but our spirits. It will take, or we will have a punishment, a consequence. We mentioned earlier, the wages of our sin is death. The action, the the reaction for our sins is death. We deserve that. That's just. But God, in His infinite love, in His infinite mercy, and in His infinite grace, sent His Son to be born of a virgin, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. If you're in this room this morning and you understand that you're a sinner, you understand that you have done something at some point in your life, even if it was only one time, that displeased God. The Bible says that where we deserve to go is hell. That's what you and I, we deserve. But God sent His Son, the Lamb of God. And he offered him as a sacrifice. And Jesus Christ came and he was born, as we read in Luke chapter 2 and the other Gospels. He was made flesh. And he lived that perfect life as the spotless lamb. He was without blemish. And he died on that cross. And he endured the punishment that you and I deserved. He justly stood in our place, taking our sin upon his shoulders. And forever completing the need for sacrifice. The Bible tells us that no longer do we have some kind of complicated ritual that we have to commit in order to have our sins forgiven. No longer do we have to go through the process and all the steps of raising up a lamb and keeping him spotless and blameless and without blemish and bringing him to the priest. We don't have all these steps. There's nothing that we have to do. As a matter of fact, the Bible is very clear that it is not of any work that I can do that I can earn salvation. But the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 9, you want to have your sins once and all forgiven. You want to earn yourself a place, in, or you want to get for yourself a place in heaven. You want to receive the free gift of salvation that comes as a result of the Lamb of God who came in fullness. 
then simply do this, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. No, it's not how good you are. I'm sorry, it won't get you to heaven. It's not the fact that you sit in this auditorium or in a church somewhere every single week of your life. I'm sorry. It's no longer needed. Your works are no longer needed. You don't have to be, uh, you don't have to earn, you don't have to be something in order to receive salvation. You simply need to believe and place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, that takes recognizing that you're a sinner. And yes, that takes faith in Jesus, that he was the son of God and that he was blameless and that he did die perfect and without cause and that he was buried in a tomb and that he did rise from the dead. But if you believe that and if you'll confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. Don't let anybody else tell you that you have to earn your way to God. But you can't. You cannot. And behold, the Lamb of God He comes in fullness. The work has been completed. It's a gift. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The fullness of God's plan. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there'll be a time for you to do that this morning. Even right now, if the Lord's convicted you, you pray, you call out to him. But listen to me. We must all have received of his fullness. Or we will one day spend an eternity in a place called hell. Not God's plan. He is not willing that any should perish. He's not willing that any should spend an eternity in hell. But that all should come to the saving knowledge of the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you are saved... Are you letting the fullness of God's plan rule and reign in your life? Are you caught up in thinking you've got to serve? God wants you to serve, but he wants your heart. Are you caught up in, I've got to be here and do this? Are you caught up in the show of being a Christian? Or have you participated? Are you partaking in the fullness of God's plan? There is nothing you can do to to obtain more grace from God. There is nothing you can do to deserve any more mercy from Him. It's full. It's complete. It's done. Simply trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Don't complicate your Christianity. He's come in fullness. Behold the Lamb of God. He's come in fullness. Let's finish out that verse we read there in John chapter 1, verse 16. And of his fullness have we all received. Look at this next few words. And grace for grace. This is an amazing phrase to me. Grace for grace. It goes on to describe it just a little bit in verse number 17. For the law was given to Moses. That was a grace. You do understand that? People didn't deserve to have a way to have their sins forgiven. But God came to Moses and provided through the sacrifice of the lamb a way for their sins to be covered. That was grace. But now there's a new grace. And it says here, well, not a new grace, but another grace. 
given. And it says there, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Yes, he had provided and given graciously to his children for all those thousands of years, and they had to go through that process of offering up sacrifice. But now, a new grace, a new grace come by Jesus Christ. It's not what we deserve. That is the epitome of grace. We can't do anything to deserve it. We can't do anything to earn it. We understand that it is for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. But I want us to look and zero in this morning on the thought of grace for grace. Grace for grace. God has always demonstrated grace to his people, to his creation. He always has from the very beginning of time. And I just want to lift him up this morning for the grace that he continues to give in our lives every single day. Undeserved, unmerited favor from my heavenly father. Grace for grace. How many times have I failed? How many times have you failed? And yet, every morning we find that his grace is new to us. No matter how often, and no matter where you're at in your life or what you have uh, found yourself experiencing or go through, uh, the, the, the decisions you've made, the mistakes that you've made, it doesn't matter what your past has been. Hey, your future is as bright as the promises of God. And the promises of God are my grace is sufficient for you. In your weakness, I am made strong. When your feet has slipped off the rock, I will establish your goings. I will cover you in the shadow of my wings. My grace is sufficient for you. Grace upon grace upon grace. And it seems like God is just giving a new grace all the time. No, it's not a new grace as in it's something different, but it's a new grace as in I did not deserve this and he gave it once again. after all the grace that I've received, as I look back over my life, after all of the graces that I have received time and time again, as a result of my failures and his forgiveness, I know that tomorrow there's going to be more grace. There's going to be more grace for my failure. Not that I would choose to use his grace and abuse it. The Bible says, God forbid. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Our intention ought never to be, well, there's grace. You know, I'm under the blood, you're under the blood, we're under grace, he's under grace. We'll just live how we want. God forgives everything. No, my friend, that is such an abuse of the grace of God that he has given grace for grace for grace for grace. And for us to sit back and think, well, I've got his grace, I'm good to go. I'm just going to keep living the way I want to live. What an abuse. What a tragedy. But this morning, can you rejoice with me that if you are a child of God, you have received grace after grace after grace. Behold the Lamb of God who comes in grace and grace upon grace. And where the old graces are yesterday, there's new graces for today. I have sat often in meditation of God's grace in my life. 
because it has been great. I have made mistakes. I have failed. Some bigger than others, but all of them requiring God's grace. Do you know that He is your Heavenly Father? By grace, you can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. No matter the situation that you're going through, no matter anything that's going on, and no matter the difficulty in your life at any point, you can cry out, by grace, Abba, Father. You can go to Him when you need direction. You can go to Him when you need help. You can go to Him when you're in the pits of despair and cry, by grace, Father, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your strength. The grace of God. I want to read for you something this morning. You could do nothing more important than to wake up every morning of your life and remind yourself of the one who created and controls everything that exists. And that he has made it all and has made you by grace. He thinks of you with pure, faithful, fatherly love. He acts towards you with the giving, providing, instructing, patient, and forgiving love of a perfect father. He is always with you. His hand is always upon you. He never stops watching you. His heart is always for you. He is always at, uh, he is always at work accomplishing his plans for you and through you. He lifts your burdens and he lightens your load. He is your God. He is your Savior. He is your friend. He is your Father. God is not the reflection of an earthly father. He is the perfection of a heavenly father. And he does this through grace. Grace in our lives. John the Baptist stands talking about Jesus Christ. And he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And this morning I want you to consciously observe what John was beholding. He was beholding the Lamb of God who comes in glory. Not just the Lamb, not just another God, the Lamb of God. He comes in glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. All-powerful, magnificent, almighty God. Behold the Lamb of God, He comes in fullness the completion of God's plan that we no longer would have to offer temporary sacrifice for our sin, but a completed work on the cross has paid the punishment for all our sin. And he comes in grace. And not just grace for today, but grace for tomorrow. Behold. This morning, I hope that you can behold the Lamb of God. See him for who he truly is. See him for how powerful he truly is. How how magnificent. How faithful he truly is. Would you stand with me this morning? You can close your Bibles and just look at me for a moment. As the pianist makes her way to the piano, we're going to have, in just a moment, an invitation. And that's the time at the end of the service where we invite you, if the Lord has spoke to your heart, to come down here and you can kneel and pray. 
But I want to challenge you this morning in a couple different areas. There's going to be some gentlemen down here, and if you've got a question, you'd like to pray with someone, you can come and talk to them. But there's a couple things that I want to ask you this morning. For those of you that are in here today and you say, you know what, I know for sure when I die, I'm on my way to heaven. Without a shadow of a doubt, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. I know it as sure as I know my name. I want to challenge you in your view of God. You know, as you grow in your Christian life, if you're not careful, you can become callous towards the magnificence of who he is. You can grow used to it. How big is God to you? How important is God to you? Has he become dull? Dull? Has he become dim in the light of the affairs of this life? Or is he a big God who can handle all your problems, who can handle all of your cares? The second way I'd like to challenge you this morning is if you're in this room and you say, you know what? I don't know that I've partaken of his fullness. If I were to die today, I'm not 100% sure that I would go to heaven. Friend, if I could get on my knees in front of you and beg you, I would do it. For you to come and let somebody show you from the word of God how you can know for sure you're on your way to heaven. It won't be an embarrassing thing. We're not going to call you out and, and, and shame you. That's not what this is about. This is about you walking out of this place today knowing for sure that heaven is your home because the alternative is hell and what a horrid eternity that would be. It's what we deserve, but we don't have to spend it there. The Lamb of God came to take away the sins of the world. He's already paid the price for your sins. He's paid the price for my sins. You just must freely receive the gift that he offers you this morning. And so if you've not accepted Christ as your Savior, I would ask you to come today. Father, Lord, we do thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word of God as it was preached. May you continue to do a work in our hearts. As the piano begins to play this morning, the invitation is open. And if you would like to come to the front here, as I mentioned, you're invited to come and kneel and and talk to God and maybe reestablish the magnificence of God in your life.